Welcome to Bleacher Blum, a sports podcast for baseball fans. Now the current master of banter for the Houston Astros television broadcast team, Blummer. Here we are, another week, and the bleachers are open again, so why don't you sit down, get your butt in a seat, and enjoy the banter of Tuttle and Blummer. It is good to be back with you all. The first week of the NFL season is over. The Astros have absolutely unloaded on everybody in the planet and taking no hostages. It's been a lot of fun to watch sports over the week, and I know things are starting to ramp up for the NFL season, and they're also starting to close out for the baseball season with the playoffs coming up. We'll talk a little bit about the Astros and the run they're on, talk some magic numbers. We got a fantasy football update because our team just won by maybe about two completed passes, I think. There's all kinds of stuff to talk about. The drama in the NFL is unbelievable to me, and I think they rely more on the storylines than the actual games because the Astros have scored more points in about 12 NFL teams, I think, this week. Weather's good. I'm feeling good. Tuttle's feeling good. We've got so many good things happening for you, and we are going to give you an update on everything that we've got going on because... We would not be in the position we are in right now if it was not for our fans who are chilling out in the bleachers with us. We had expectations, but I don't think we had them quite ready for what everybody's returned to us. So we are grateful for everybody that's listening. I'll get a little bit into that in a little bit. But right now, of course, I myself, Jeff Blum, I'm a 14-year Major League veteran of baseball. I now broadcast for the Houston Astros on a regular basis on... Uh, the Astros broadcasts. I do the color commentary, and how about it? You know, it was kind of cool to do some of the some of the stuff that I'm going to tell you about in a little bit, where I get to say I am the co-creator, co-host of the Bleacher Blums podcast, and of course, I've got to introduce my good buddy David Tuttle. Tuttle played at Santa Clara University, played a ton in the minor leagues, got traded a couple times at the deadline, he played for Team USA. He's also a father of multiples. He has twins. I've got him beat by one when I had triplets, but uh, we've got a lot in common. We are now on this podcast. I'm going to bring him in right now, and I'm going to ask Tuttle, how you doing, Tuttle, man? How are things? I'm doing great, and uh, it's great that you reset who we are. I think we've gotten uh, about 30 episodes now, and people are probably getting uh, lost in the shuffle with which clowns uh, started this Bleacher Blums podcast, <laughs> so uh, I'm glad you reset that. I uh, I did want to say from afar, obviously, anybody that's listening to this podcast knows that I'm following Houston sports at a, on a more regular basis. But with the uh, beginning of the NFL season, I was thoroughly impressed getting in football mindset to watch the Astros score three touchdowns and then follow that up with two touchdowns and a two-point conversion. You know, against the Mariners, it's you can never say scoring 21 runs is expected, but to watch him do it to the A's was quite impressive. So uh, yeah, I'm happy to be back in the bleachers with you and let the folks know all the exciting stuff that's going on with us. Yeah. So we talked about it last uh, couple of podcasts and people have jumped on the opportunity to go and get t-shirts. So we've got more exciting news as far as the swag is concerned. And we've got a couple of more ideas coming up, especially after what happened last night. Uh, a certain comment of mine made it onto uh, some of the major league highlights and sports center highlights so we've got some ideas for t-shirts coming up, but people have jumped on the Bleacher Blums t-shirts and I absolutely applaud everybody for jumping on and getting those. Every time Tuttle and I have done a podcast now for the last two or three, we've worn our uh, Bleacher Blums t-shirts. I've been getting pictures on Twitter of people wearing them at the stadium at Minute Maid Park and I absolutely love that. That is great news. 
And before, you still can go to CrushCityTees.com to go get your t-shirts. But we are trying to set up, and we've actually set up, I'm not saying trying anymore because it's real. We have a website for our podcast. You can go to BleacherBlums.com and you can find out everything you want to know about this podcast. We've got links to the actual podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, plenty of other platforms that we're on. There's an archives page, so you can go back and download and listen to previous podcasts and see how this whole thing got started. Maybe even critique us and see if we've gotten a little bit better. I know that we have. I don't know if everybody else believes that, but I definitely feel like we've gotten better. You can find a little more out about myself, and you can find a lot more about uh, David Tuttle. We've got pictures. You can get you can put eyes on us now instead of just hearing the voice you can put the voice with the face which is a lot of fun. I've got an introductory video out there to let everybody know how this thing all started. And of course, you're going to be able to go to the shop and shop for those t-shirts that we told you about that are on crushcitytees.com. And what's great about the t-shirts is that they flew off the shelves originally. What was awesome about that is that everybody took advantage of going to Crush City Tees and they had men's and women's t-shirts. And a lot of people had requested that they get women's t-shirts with a V-neck. So in working with Ram shirts and crushcdtees.com, guess what? We're also proud to announce that we've got women's t-shirts that come in a V-neck style now. So everybody's happy. Ladies, I know you like the V-neck and guess what? So do guys. So go out, get yourself a Bleacher Blums t-shirt and get that V-neck on. Get one for the ladies, get one for yourself, fellas, and hook yourself up. And stay tuned. Get on that uh, website because we are going to try and work on getting hats out there with the Bleacher Blooms logo on it. Uh, we're working on maybe a Weddle Tuttle's say style. A lot of you get at me on Twitter taking pictures, and I, of I often say sup to see, see how everybody's doing out there. So that may be an idea for a, a T-shirt. And I think after last night watching Jordan hit that bomb and hearing some of the highlights, a lot of feedback was pretty impressed with when I said, I'm tingly. And I think we may have to get an I'm Tingly shirt and somehow get a design for that. But uh, Tuttle, things are going good on the website. You excited about it, man? I'm thrilled. Yeah. And I mean, the t-shirt ideas are just popping into my head as we speak. I think the other thing that's going to be great about that is the email and we might have a mailbag Monday, which will let the uh, audience here steer some of the kind of the direction of the podcast. Now, as Jeff always says, Blummer says, you know, if you're going to get at us, be honest, be forthright, but you can even crush us here, but be polite about it. Anyway, yeah, super excited about mailbag possibilities and email. So we're just kind of expanding the realm in which we communicate with y'all. And like you said, we started this podcast just for some fun and it seems to be growing. So uh, really excited about that and where it's going. And on those pages, you can get Tuttle's uh, Twitter handle and Instagram handle, which are at Real David Tuttle. My Twitter handle and Instagram handle are at Blummer27. So that's another way to contact with us, but it's pretty easy to get on that website. And like Tuttle was saying, we have actually a mail email system set up to where you can email us ideas for conversation topics. You can ask for shout outs. You can ask us questions. We'll answer them on the podcast because I think once the season is over and we're trying to be a little more consistent, we're going to do something maybe called Mailbag Monday where we get at you and make you guys a little more interactive and give you the shout out or give you the respect of getting your name on our podcast because you're asking such good questions. 
there's also a cameo link. Don't forget about cameo. We can give you shout outs. You know, David Tuttle's dying to get uh, his face out there and give you that personal shout out, whether it be for, you know, talking trash on fantasy football or, you know, words of encouragement. He can give you, you know, your own personal Tuttle quote of the day, or he can just give birthday shout outs or anything exciting like that. So that's a lot of fun. Good things are happening. And the only reason we got that website done is we got to give a little bit of credit to Just Geek at Solutions. They're an IT and computer repair company located in Houston. They have over 40 years of providing excellent customer service, and Tuttle and I can attest to that because they have been absolutely incredible taking our ideas and turning them into reality on this website. So Just Geek It Solutions, they provide same-day service for those seeking computer repair, server repair, network service, laptop repair service, virus removal, and customer computer builds. They will handle thousands of business clients as well as residential customers. So see why they are the best computer repair company in Houston. Call 281-826-4357, or you can visit them online. Go to JustGeekItSolutions.com. So we appreciate them. And we're going to move forward a little bit and head on into the Astros. Tell you talked about it, man. Were you shocked by the football scores that a professional baseball team was putting up? I was. And being a former pitcher, I'm... Whew. Thank God I'm sitting with my butt in this chair and a microphone in front of my face because, you know, sometimes when a team gets hot, the momentum is in their favor. It really doesn't matter who's pitching or how things are going. I didn't watch, like I said, as much of the last two baseball games as I wanted to because the NFL was on uh, last night. We had the two uh, Monday night football games. But I've, I've been in that situation before where, okay, they've scored 12 runs. Get your right arm loose and get in there. And it doesn't really matter who they bring on the hill. You know, you want to get out of there like three innings, maybe two runs, talking selfishly and statistically, like three innings, two runs, two strikeouts, and the starter gave, you know, one and two thirds, seven runs. You're like, hey, Tuttle, good job. Way to keep us in the game. And, you know, that's all you can look for. When the snowball starts rolling downhill, you do not want to be the one that's called on to come in the game and, and throw strikes to a team like the Astros, not in the last two days. So it'll be interesting to see how it goes tonight. Give me a little bit of insight because you started and relieved. You talked about it. But what is the mood in that bullpen when you're you're trying to hide out down there Maybe the mentality is, I'll be ready in the fifth inning. I'll be ready in the sixth inning. We'll see how this game goes. And especially when you're in contention with a team like the A's, that game last night, the 15 to nothing game, was not a Seattle Mariner game, a team. It was a contending wild card team. Explain to me what is – because relievers are nuts to begin with. You guys are always doing, down there doing some crazy stuff anyways. But how quickly does that mood shift when – you're down there and you and you see a, your starting pitcher give up the one home run and then the second home run. And then all of a sudden there's a third home run and you're like, oh, damn. Oh, damn. What do we do? You know, what, what's it like? What's the atmosphere down there uh, for those relievers? And how are you feeling personally? Great question. I, I think there's a couple things at work here. Uh, like you said, I started in relieved. I, it, it actually takes me back uh, earlier in the week when Wade Miley went, uh, I think, zero innings. <laughs> five runs that hurts and i think um i don't know somebody on twitter or maybe you said we're, we're gonna win the game so that i think it changes with the kind of team you're on obviously there's a lot of variables and a lot of dynamics at play obviously why wade miley was not happy with his start but man it's got to be so nice to have a team come in and rescue you essentially and so i think the mindset on a team like that is like hey if i can go in and hold them where they are uh, we're only down five runs. It's the first inning. We haven't even been to the, you know, been up yet. Um, then I think you're in a different mentality. Now, from a pitcher standpoint, starter, reliever, whatever it is, 
you kind of know your role. And I always felt like if I could make myself valuable enough to the team, then you wouldn't be thrust in the game in that situation. You know, we're in expanded rosters here. It's kind of like, all right, we need total for the sixth and seventh in a close game, whether we're down one run or up one run. And so I tried to create as much value as I could early on in the year and be an integral part of the team when the games were close. Did that always happen? No. <laughs> or maybe you were a starter who got shellacked and it's your side day, right? You threw two thirds of an inning, gave up five runs and the bullpen coach or the pitching coach says to you, instead of, hey, we won't throw your side today. We're a little short in the bullpen. So just hang out in the bullpen and maybe we'll call you. And all of a sudden, five or six runs go in the first two innings. And you know you're the one that's going to have to go in the game. So uh, there's so many variables and so many dynamics at work. But it is good to know your role. We've talked about this on previous podcasts. And I think when you know your role, that makes it easier. But if you're the long guy, I think back to basic pitching strategy if you're the long guy or you know you're the guy that's going to come in when the uh, starter is struggling or when there's when the avalanche is falling, then you just got to be ready. You got to go in and you got to keep you, know, you got to keep the numbers down, whether it be selfish or team or whatever it is. You know, you have to go three or four innings regardless of how many runs you're going to give up. You just got to go in there and throw strikes and battle. I mean, that's that's really ultimately what it comes down to, right? Do I absolutely love Tuttle because, you know, we talked about it just before we got on the podcast, how even keeled this dude is. And I'm a little bit different. I get a little riled up. You know, you've seen uh, they, they call it sassiness on Twitter where I fight back a little bit. And this is where Tuttle and I maybe separate ourselves a little bit because I expected you to be a little more like, get me the hell out of here. I don't want to pitch today, but you always stay positive. And I think that's a great mentality. But at the same time, if I'm the dude down the bullpen, I'm like, dude, holy crap, keep me out of this mess. Because I'm watching guys make decent pitches and they're getting absolutely hammered out of the ballpark. Because <laughs> every home run the Astros hit the other day was about 400 feet, I feel like. And I did not want to be the guy going in. So I appreciate the positivity from David Tuttle. But there had to be some guys down there that were just absolutely trying to get underneath the bench, wear their camouflage jackets out there and be like, hey, dude, if Skip calls down, I ain't going in because I don't have the stuff today. And the way these guys are swinging, I've got no shot. The cloak of invisibility. <laughs> and the way you get the cloak of invisibility is like I said, to make yourself an integral part of the team. You mentioned Will Harris, the last podcast, and how integral he is down there, whether you know he's probably not going to be the closer ever because of his stuff, but you want that guy in close games. So when it's 15 nothing, he can put on his flip-flops and uh, put in an extra wad of chewing gum and sit down there and fall asleep for all anybody cares because that's what it ultimately comes down to, right? Everybody knows their role. And if you're an integral part of that bullpen on both sides, you're not going in when it's 15 nothing. If you're losing and you're not going in, if it's 15, nothing when you're winning, you know, that'd be an interesting game to put Osuna into. We keep talking about the closer and I don't want to change gears too much, but some of these guys got to get stuff worked out. And I know he's the closer and I know that would be a slight to his manhood, but it really is interesting to kind of humble ourselves and get ourselves in these positions. Obviously, you know, the integral part of the bullpen is not coming in on both sides of that. No, that's actually an interesting point. So if you are pitching in a blowout, you know exactly where you stand in the organization. You know what I'm saying? It's like if I pitch myself into the back end of the bullpen and I'm coming in in a 15 nothing game, I'm like, okay, Skip, I got it. I know exactly what you want me to do for the rest of my career. But it's also an opportunity to go out there and prove your point a little bit. Uh, you know, it was kind of interesting last night, not on the A's side, but on the Astros side. Cranky could have gone out there for another couple innings. I think he threw 73 pitches through six innings, but they brought in a youngster and Brian Abreu who, do, who did a great job. And then CNL Perez, actually watching CNL Perez, a left-handed pitcher that finished off the game for the Astros, 
the dude had fire in his eyes. And I actually appreciated that, that a little bit. I didn't have a chance to talk to it because we were talking about so many other things. But the dude came in and just wiped out the A's. I mean, punished them towards the end. So that was a lot of fun to watch. There were some statistical things towards the in that ball game that I wanted to touch on and maybe get Tuttle's thoughts on them a little bit because it was incredible. It's incredible how they went out and scored. But I want to give you a number at home. The Astros are 56 and 17 at home. They're about to set a record for a winning percentage at home. But within their division, Against the American League West, now keep in mind this is an unbalanced time that we play in. The Astros are 28-2, and 28-2 in their division and going out there and pummeling those guys. Can you explain any of that to me, Tuttle? I mean, is it is that – that's not normal, man. Definitely not normal. I would say one of the key factors there is, again, momentum. We, we talk about this at a high level of any sport. The, I don't know, the margin for error is so small. But as you know, I, I think I, I've talked about this before and certainly now on our new website in my bio, um, I had the good fortune of playing on some championship teams in the minor leagues. And it was so weird because, you know, in the minor leagues, when you're going to go from double A AA to triple A, they make a lot of moves at the all-star break. So if you had a good first half, you're going from double A AA to triple A. The teams that won the champion or that won the league in the first half, would play the second half champion, uh, the second half winner. I would bet, I mean, we can go back and look at the statistics, but the second half winner wins that championship probably like 95% of the time, you know, because they, all the guys are there and they're, they're the ones that participated and the avalanche is kind of all the momentum is in their favor. And you see that happening. I remember being in a, in a series and we knew we were going to win. We won the first game. We're like, all we have to do is win three more. We knew we were going to win. The, we already knew that we were going to win before it happened. And I feel like, especially at high level, I, the Astros are so good and they're so confident and the momentum's in their favor. All of that's working. And they don't believe they can lose, right? 28 and two. I mean, they don't believe they can lose to a division opponent at home. Yeah, literally. And another reason for them to get home field advantage, right? And that's and that brings up another question for me because they have gotten so good at home. And like you're saying, in these short series, if you have that game at home and you win that first game at home, it really puts things in your advantage because you do create that momentum. But how important, not only in baseball and maybe take into account all sports that have playoffs, how important is that home field advantage to you? You know, I see it more with uh, football. I, I don't know why, but like the, the let's see, is it football or basketball, the NBA? I, I feel like that is a, is a true home field advantage. But, but for sure, it's important. I mean, think about we've seen teams go on the road and win. But if you're going to have a game seven, so both teams have won three games and you're having a game seven, that seventh game you want to be in your ballpark. It doesn't matter what sport you're playing or what, you know, so I don't know if it's important on game three. Oh, yeah, the Astros have home field advantages game three. But game seven, you, you want in your, in, your, uh, in your home building, in your home ballpark. So I, I think it's, it's immensely important. And they're fighting, let's see, it's Yankees and Dodgers for the best record. But obviously, they don't care whether the Dodgers have the best record. Mm -hmm. Oh, I guess, does that matter for the World Series? Yeah, because like the if they have a better yeah. record than the National League team that they're playing against, they will have home field advantage, yes. I mean, it's changed so much over the years. It used to alternate, and then it mattered who won the All-Star game, which was idiotic because it had, you know, guys playing in the All-Star game could probably give two craps if if they're on the Seattle Mariners, for lack of a better team, you know, right now. They, they don't care who has home field advantage. They're not going to go out there and compete. It's now down to best record. 
And I think if they tie at the end of the season, I think you go to in-division record where the Astros are off the charts good too. So it, it kind of melts down to that. But I think you made the ultimate point about why home field advantage is crucial. Because if you do get down to what essentially is a one-game series where you have to win or go home, you want to play that in your home ballpark for many reasons. You're comfortable. Everything you have is there. You know, there, There's knowledge of the ballpark, but it's the fan base. We know how fan bases get in that one-game playoff. You know, they're going to be ramped up. The intensity is going to be greater. And usually it has a tendency to make that visiting team a little more nervous or put them on edge early. And that kind of goes to your point about the NFL. Because when you're playing, they're basically playing one and done games. And if you're going to play a one and done game, where do you want to play that? You want to play that with your people behind you. You want to look up in the stands and see your team colors in the background. You want to have people cheering you on. Even if you're behind, they're going, we still got your back kind of thing, as opposed to the second you walk in the building, it's a great big middle finger. And we're trying to bury you and say everything derogatory we can to get you off your game. So that's where the home field advantage kind of steps up for me. Do you agree? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the ultimate point. I, I You just brought up a point and I was watching a lot of football this weekend, as I already mentioned, but uh, you. USC, the student section at USC, USC played Stanford. Basically, the whole second half, USC student section was just chanting <laughs> FU Stanford the whole second half. Classy FC. Yeah, well, that's what somebody said. Let's come up with something creative. They're like, hey, our team's better than your team. Like, no, 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 the whole second half, FU Stanford the whole time. So, <laughs> I mean, at a college age, that might affect you more. Uh, you've been in plenty of crucial um, kind of game-changing um, you know, high high leverage or high pressure situations, as have I. You know, not not as high like the World Series, but you know, when you're when you're playing in Cuba in front of sixty thousand fans for your own country, and mm-hmm. you you know, you learn to block stuff out. So as we've talked about on this podcast, everyone's human, and so ultimately afterward, you can hear it or you can think about it, but typically you can let that stuff roll off your back. But boy, it's sure nice to have the home the home fans behind you and the home base and you know, just being just being comfortable in that environment certainly enhances the scenarios that work out in your favor. Well, the Astros are speeding towards that best record in baseball, if not the American League. So that is actually a goal. And I love the fact that guys are answering those questions post-game saying, yes, we want to have the best team in baseball in order to secure that home field advantage and put the pressure on the other teams. But the last two games have been absolutely ridiculous with the Astros scoring 36 runs. They've outscored their opponent 36 to 1 in the last two games. Yesterday, they hit seven home runs that tied a franchise record. Uh, The A's are a contending team. We talked about that. So these aren't slouch teams the Astros are doing this against. Jordan Alvarez, we might as well just go ahead and make the trophy, man, and celebrate it tomorrow and just hand him to it. He's going to be Rookie of the Year. What he's doing is absolutely insane. And then he went out there and hit one to basically the back wall of Minute Maid Park, and it blew my mind. It's been estimated at 731 feet. And it's the third deck behind the foul pole, which you don't even, I mean, it's, I don't even think lights shine in that part of the ballpark because it's so far away and everything's so focused on the field that it kind of disappeared into the night. I lost my mind. TK, I I don't know if he's going to have a voice for tonight's game. He lost his mind too, calling that home run. But this guy is turned into the Roy Hobbs of baseball, just this mythical, legendary type guy. Uh, and that's where I, I couldn't help it. I was speechless and I had the hair was standing up on my arms literally when he hit that home run. That's why I said I'm tingly. And I think that'd make a great T-shirt to roll around Minute Maid Park and tell everybody you're tingly. So that was pretty epic. Toto, do you have any thoughts on Jordan? Have you been paying much attention to what he's been doing? Because between what he's done in AAA and the major leagues, 
He has 47 home runs, I think now, and 147 RBIs. Unbelievable, man. It's incredible. We talked about him pretty extensively last podcast, and I saw that that home run last night was estimated at like 416 feet. Yeah, that was the initial. initial yeah. Yeah, they were like four. I'm like, I, I mean, you know, they've joked before. I think Mickey Mantle hit one out of Yankee Stadium, or they, you know, they were trying to debate, like, no one's ever hit one out, but Mickey Mantle hit one, you know, 580 feet or something. But that mm-hmm. ball, and maybe it's because it's down the line there. It's kind of fun. At the same at, uh, I wanted to say Petco Park, where they have the, the, the brick building down left field line, like getting one up. Oh, yeah. So down the line, you can make it look monumental because you get it up onto the roof of that building. It's like, hey, mm-hmm. it looks great. But I mean, that ball, even on tell, I'm like 416 feet. Really? Like, I know it's only, it's shorter down the line. It's like 335 or something, but that ball looked like it was a lot farther. I mean, obviously you could tell from the fans reaction, your reaction, TK's reaction that that's a ball that not many people have seen hit similar to what you guys saw with Correa in Baltimore. You know, they were saying, Oh, he, nobody's ever hit a ball out there. It'd be interesting to go out and kind of, you know, I'm sure on your broadcast, you guys can go out there and start saying, well, where did that ball hit? And you guys can start telling the legend of Jordan, you know, obviously the legend started before last night, but that home run, I think everybody saw in sports center and he is not getting the national recognition, just like the Astros don't get quite the national recognition. We're talking about the Yankees and the Dodgers all the time. Wait till those Astros sneak in there because Jordan does not get talked about in the same capacity. And the Dodgers, keep, you know, they keep bringing up guys. They have some really good young players, the Dodgers do. But come on, no one has 47 home runs and 147 ribbies in professional baseball this year. Yeah, he's done incredible things. And I, you just peeled off a, a scab in the, in the Houston sports world as far as getting the national notoriety. But hopefully these guys uh, start to light it up and continue to go down the stretch. But I would be pretty content to say, and pretty easily, that's that limb I'm going to climb out on is pretty strong, saying that he's going to be Rookie of the Year. And in future podcasts, Tuttle and I will talk about it off air, but we want to get you guys ready. Towards the end of the season, obviously, we got to look at MVP votes because I think Alex Bregman is sneaking into the conversation with what he's doing. Uh, he's at 35 home runs and 100-plus runs scored, 100-plus RBIs. I mean, the home run production isn't up to Mike Trout standards, but some of the peripherals are kind of sneaking into that situation. And he's playing for a winning team, if you like that. The Cy Young Award for me is going to be incredible to watch because you've got two guys on the same team going for it. They're going to be stealing votes from each other down the stretch. Garrett Cole and Justin Verlander are by far, by far, head and shoulders above everybody else in the American League for that Cy Young Award for me. Jordan's going to be Rookie of the Year, so it's kind of a a unique year. As good as 2017 was, it's going to be a little bit different as far as 2019 with the numbers these guys are putting up. But uh, we'll have to keep an eye on that, Tuttle on who uh, these big awards might go to. Well, it's funny. I was just saying that they don't get the national recognition, but among those sports writers and baseball, I mean, like you said, it, it would be really interesting to see how that vote, and if it got really split, maybe it's a co-Cy Young. I don't know if they've ever had that. Be, I mean, that would be pretty hard to, to do, but that'd be cool to have Verlander and Cole win the Cy Young Award. I don't know about Bregman as MVP. Like you said, I do consider being on a winning team um, the value, right? I mean, like Springer in the clubhouse, nobody ever is going to vote for Well, I shouldn't say ever, but at this point, Springer doesn't have the numbers to be a league MVP. But, you know, amongst your team, you guys know who the leaders are in that clubhouse. It's kind of like getting that captain star in the NFL. And you've heard guys talk about it. Uh, Slater with the Patriots. He's on their special teams. He's always a captain. He's been there for like 10 years. He's a solid guy. Like I do consider winning teams 
having those glue guys. And if Bregman's one of the glue guys with the numbers he's putting up, just because Trout's on a losing team, we don't want to diminish uh, a whole lot of his statistical anomalies because he's fantastic. But I don't know. I, I like having the characteristics and the numbers on a team that's actually producing. And I, I think it'd be interesting to see where the Astros fall in there. Yeah, I can't wait. We'll keep you guys updated on that. And you can also go to our website, bleacherblums.com and click on that mailbag button and send us an email and give us your thoughts and maybe some other topics that you would want us to talk about as far as those season ending awards coming up. I love the fact that Tuttle is fired up about the Astros. I love the fact that he tore that scab off and said that these guys need a little more recognition nationally. And maybe they're starting to get it because they're putting up football scores to compete with the NFL. Yes, the problem with living on the third coast. We talked about this, right? We have the left coast, but the third coast just doesn't get the the publicity or the recognition. No, it's true. It's definitely true out there on the West Coast. And that's what they keep saying about Mike Trout. How does he create more of an excitement around what he's doing? But he's doing it at midnight when everybody on the East Coast is taking uh, their nightly snooze. But I could sit here and talk about the Astros all day long. I've actually got a couple more things on here, but I'm going to X those out because I think what we talked about is excellent stuff. The home field advantage is outstanding talk. Uh, what the Astros are doing are, are, is incredible. Jordan's an amazing athlete. I want to remind everybody, as of right now, the 10th of September, the magic number is eight for the Houston Astros. Ryan Presley is working himself back into that bullpen situation. Yuli Gurriel, who had that little bit of a tweak in the hamstring, should be coming back relatively soon. Although, good grief, you don't need his 98 RBIs. These guys have put up 36 in the last two games. Ha! I'm just kidding. You guys need, you know they need him back in there. And Carlos Correa should be going out hopefully for a rehab assignment over the weekend because the Round Rock Express have played themselves into the Pacific Coast League Championship, which will be awesome. And all of that Astro talk has got me fired up. All of the talk about our website has got me fired up. I'm feeling good in my bright ass orange Bleacher Blums t-shirt. So you know what I'm ready for, Tuttle? I'm ready for a little what'll Tuttle say. All right, before we head into what'll Tuttle say, we got to give a shout out to the people that are producing those wonderful t-shirts. That's Crush City Tees, T-E-E-S dot com. It's the place to go for custom H-Town baseball tees. They've got direct-to-garment machines that can make your idea reality with no minimum, no setup fees, and unlimited colors. They also provide embroidery and screening. It's designed and printed in Houston, Crush City Tees. T-E-E-S, CrushCityTees.com. Get your playoff t-shirts and your Bleacher Blums t-shirts and your Crush City t-shirts at CrushCityTees.com. What do you think about that? All right, so what'll Tuttle say? We're rolling in. I, I do have to give myself some props because I called AB before AB called AB. So that, Whoa, that was up. What, what did Tuttle say? That's right. What did Tuttle say? I uh, I was laughing because I didn't think this was going to turn into what it did. So now I'm gonna I'm gonna put myself down a peg. But I really thought, how do you know? You and I are ex professional athletes. We're looking at this. How does a guy like this function in the clubhouse? And the day after the last podcast, he didn't function in the clubhouse, even with Gruden and Mayock and the circus that was. I, I was just. It didn't surprise me, obviously, but uh, I was surprised that it, it went as far as it did. It'll be interesting to see how he works out with the Patriots. So, um, And then uh, Jeff touched on this earlier before I get into my two topics. 
uh, fantasy football. We squeaked out a win last night. And I will tell you that the way we got the W was thanks to Bill O'Brien and actually <laughs> the Houston <laughs> Texans defense. We need, we need like a Neosporin sponsor because you keep ripping these scabs off everybody in Houston. It right. was a rough game last night, but we, we won. We won. We won our fantasy. We're 1-0, baby. I will say I give Bill O'Brien credit, but also you got to give the Saints defensive backs. And I, I as I mentioned, watched a ton of football this weekend, the Tennessee-BYU game. I kept thinking, well, the only way – I know Tennessee lost their first game – to like Georgia State or somebody, and they they came back big time. But they're playing BYU. Tennessee's up. The only way they can lose the game is if they let the BYU receiver get behind him. He got behind him. He scored. It's like, oh, my gosh. So last night I'm thinking, all right, well, the Saints, their, their DBs are there. The Saints have the lead. All the things that happened to get to that point happened. And then Kenny Stills runs right by the defensive back for uh, the Saints and scores a touchdown. They miss the extra point, and then they get another shot for roughing the kicker. They make the extra point, and now the Saints have to they have to go down and kick a field goal, and Bill O'Brien plays the ultimate prevent defense when they could have given the Saints 46 yards and let the clock run out. Instead, they gave them eight yards and you know killed the clock and – the rest is history. But I will say, we would not have won. We had Drew B's at quarterback on our fantasy team. We would have not have won that game had they not had that last drive. So thank you to all the parties involved. Well, and isn't it funny, too, you were talking about, and this whole prevent defense thing, for those who are like primarily baseball fans, it's like playing no doubles. It's just everything's dropping in front of you, and you continue to get base runners, and they continue to score, and it's much like the prevent defense where you just keep throwing 10, 12, 15 yarders. Next thing you know, you're like, oh, crap, they're in field goal range. What do we do now? You know, it's so it kind of, it was, it was amazing to watch, but it was also amazing to watch the New Orleans Saints say, keep everybody in front. And to Tuttle's point, what happened? Stills gets back there, and, and Deshaun Watson just says, it was almost like shock. He was like, "Holy crap, he's open!" And he just chucks it, and Stills runs runs under it. They score, but how about we also had Fairbairn as our as our kicker in the game? And if they didn't get that kind of eh, kind of roughing the kicker call, we don't have another opportunity because he butchered that one, butchered the initial chance to get the extra point. So we needed every point. And we got it last night, and it was it was miraculous how it happened. But, man, the Texans, what a tough loss. Great way to start the season for our fantasy football team. <laughs> as far as the Houston Texans, and I know uh, H-Town, is, you were mentioning scabs and all that, they're struggling to uh, deal with the reality of the Houston Texans football team that kind of is always underachieving in their mind. So I will say, remember, the prevent defense, I think the most common, th- common thing said about it is it prevents you from winning. So maybe maybe that's what happened last night. All right. So now we are hot into what'll Tuttle say. The two topics today I have are uh, the first one we talked about Asuna ad nauseum last podcast, but I wanted to say I've had to, you wanted me to kind of scout the Dodgers and keep you up to breast about the Dodgers. But so I was watching one of the Dodgers games this last week against the Giants, my team. I will say this, and you guys in H-Town can take comfort in this. The Dodgers will not win the World Series with Kenley Jansen as their closer. If he's coming into close games, if the Astros are playing them, the Astros are going to win the World Series. Now, that's a big statement, but that's what'll Tuttle say. That is what Tuttle just said. Mark this podcast. Number 32, Tuttle says the Dodgers will not win the World Series if they get there with Kenley Jansen. Booyah. Just as the closer, if they turn him into a setup man or whatever, I know he's six foot five or six foot six and he's intimidating. His cutter's down to 91, 92. 
I think I saw him hit 94 the other day, but we know that velocity is important. The seams are less uh, less uh, protuberant on the ball. Right? That's a good point about the baseball because guys that throw the split are having issues, but I didn't even think about the cut. Oh, the cutter. Yeah. you. I mean, you hang your finger on a seam. That's the whole, that's the whole thing that makes a cut. And it's like a little ledge for you to pull. The other thing is when your velocity is there, maybe the seam isn't as important, but if your velocity is down, you certainly need another little spot to hold onto that ball. And I, I just think with the seams down and the velocity down, that ball's moving less. Well, and to your point, you know, we talk about it a lot. If the velocity is down and you're not able to get that feel on the cutter, guess what else goes down? The spin. Everybody's about the spin and you got to spin to win, baby. Yeah, spin to win. That's right. So anyway, so the big statement is I just feel like if he stays in the closer role throwing 91-92 with his cutter not cutting, you or I could go out there and throw that up there probably. Maybe not 91-92, but we could throw a ball up there that doesn't spin and, you know, can nibble. It just looked like he was nibbling. I've never seen him nibble before. And if you're Astros hitters, I say your Astros hitters, but if your Astros hitters walk up to the plate looking at this guy throwing 91-92 with not a lot of intimidation there and not a lot of movement on the ball, they they have the mental edge from the get-go. So I just feel like that might be a high-scoring World Series if both those teams kind of fulfill their destiny here by making it, but I just feel like Kenley Jansen, yeah, mark mark this time on this podcast of this day. I don't think the Dodgers can win the World Series with Kenley Jansen as their closer. He just doesn't have the stuff anymore. No, I think that's a great call. And I do, yeah. I mean, that that's a bold statement, but that's why you're here, Tuttle. We need that bold statement. And you are paying attention out there on the left coast for us to keep track of that because everything's pointing to the Dodgers being a dominant team going through the National League again. It all goes back to what we talked about in that Astro segment about momentum, too. You've got to have that momentum. And you know, momentum could also be another word for confidence. Do you have confidence going into the postseason? And that's what the Astros are doing right now with the Cole Verlander. You know, Miley needs to have a big start tonight to get his momentum. But how about Zach Granke did a good job of creating momentum. So on the pitching side, you're looking at the Astros and you're going, damn, these guys' starters are off the charts good. So they other teams intimidated, but now the offense is stepping up and that's what's creating a lot of momentum and confidence for them too. Absolutely. Momentum and confidence are integral here. The other thing with Waddle Tuttle say that's uh, really uh, kind of my second subject for the day, but uh, this is about uh, a bumper sticker I saw the other day, and I just I'm thinking what in the what in the world is the world coming to? But I, I drive past this lady almost every day on the way to the gym. She's got a lifted truck, which you know, again, Houstonians. There's plenty of lifted trucks out there. I gotcha. Blummer himself has a lifted truck, so what do you know? I, I, this lady is always dangling a cigarette out, always kind of racing in and out of lanes. And she has a, I'm going to paraphrase this, but essentially she has a sticker on the back of her truck that says, proud parents of fairly good children that are sometimes assholes. That's kind of the, that's the bumper sticker. Wow. Yeah. I just thought, and it's not even the swear word, right? Big deal. Like, you know, however you put that, or, you know, it's like my kid beat up your honor student. Like, okay, that's funny. I get it. (laughs) But I'm just thinking, watching this lady cruise to, and I know like everybody's got their own thing. They're all different. But I'm watching this lady and I'm already skeptical of the kind of children they're raising. It's just right there, right? (laughs) You know, so if you see that kid rob a liquor store or you see that kid kick a cat or a dog, you're like, yeah, it makes sense to me, right? Because they're proud parents of okay kids that are sometimes assholes. It's like, you know, what kind of vibe is that sending? Now, Maybe they're just have a wonderful sense of humor 
And maybe that's just their way of putting it out there. But that's not a sticker I would have on my car. Jeff, is that something that you would put on your automobile? That'd be a negative, David. <laughs> I, I don't think I could go there with that. I, I, yeah, you're right. I mean, you've got to... <laughs> it's amazing that we can judge somebody on the bumper sticker they put back there. I mean, never mind every electoral year that comes up. Good God. To put that on there, that's a bold strategy. I'm not sure that's going to pay off saying that my kid is an asshole. Does that speak more volumes about the kid or the parent? Do you drop the kids off at school with that bumper sticker on your car? I mean, that's the point. I I just don't get what they're trying to do. If you have a great sense of humor, you're a stand-up comedian, great. But your kids see that every day. Your kids' friends see that. Like, I I just don't understand it. I realize that we live in a a free country and we're all allowed to do what we want to do. I feel like that that's just asking for trouble. That's all I got for what'll Tuttle say. I just wanted to throw that out there. Maybe uh, we already mentioned the new website coming out. Maybe that's something that'll make it to Mailbag Monday. I'd love to hear everybody's thoughts. You can get at me, at Real David Tuttle on Twitter. I'd love to hear your thoughts about the bumper sticker that I just referenced. And now we can lead into my favorite segment. It's Blum and Blummer time. Huh. I expected the Rocky Mountains to be a little rockier than this. I was thinking the same thing. Jeff Blum's full of shit, man. That's right. A little Blum and Blummer time. And we're going to give some more props to Tuttle because he hinted at it earlier about his call on Antonio Brown. And he he pulled the ultimate bait and switch with the Oakland Raiders. And it's kind of interesting to me that he took a $15 million hit in salary just to get away from Mike Mayock and John Gruden out there in Oakland, which was kind of fascinating to me because usually money is the ultimate motivator for some of these guys to stay and grind through some of the situations. But he was that unhappy in Oakland that he pulled the plug, complained about his helmet, didn't show up, threatened to punch the owner, You know, couldn't stand John Gruden, recorded a phone call, made an, a commercial out of it. I don't know if there's any potential lawsuit in recording somebody without the, them knowing it and then publicizing it. All truth be told, I sign a disclaimer with Tuttle every time we do a podcast to let him know I'm recording. But that being said, all of this going on, the social media post, and he ends up being a New England Patriot, begs the question because I am just as watching media pundits and maybe even us commenting on the lunacy and the arrogance and the selfishness of Antonio Brown, he ends up a New England Patriot. Did we just get played, Tuttle? Did he play us like a fiddle, knowing that we would berate him, make fun of him, and all of a sudden he ends up on a championship team? That's a great question. I have no idea. I I don't feel like you can be that, you know, playing sports a long time. There were some pitchers that had a lot of success and some hitters. And, you know, some of these guys that would come up and they were raking and you're like, man, how does he do it? It doesn't even look like he has a plan. And you go, well, what's your plan? And you find out your his plan is the same as the guy from Major League. You know, no like curveball, me see ball, hit ball. You're like, okay, he doesn't have a plan. I mean, Antonio, <laughs> I'm not saying that he's that uh, simple-minded. I, he did get permission from Gruden to use that phone call. I thought that was interesting. I saw that somewhere. It wasn't. So when you have permission, it would be interesting to know whether he got permission before or after. <laughs> you know, like if he got permission before, maybe there's some, <laughs> you know, where there's smoke, there's fire. I don't think he was smart enough to play everybody. I do feel like, and we've said this before as well, we've never had the transcendent talent to be able to do that. I feel like once he realized, hey, 
I'm one of the greatest football players on the planet and this isn't working out. I'm going to go somewhere else that he probably did all he could. And I think the guaranteed money, which we know is uh, integral in baseball, and we've touched on that before as well, guaranteed money in football should be more readily available because of the type of injuries those guys suffer, sometimes career ending. Uh, in this situation, this wasn't because he got injured. <laughs> he earned his guaranteed money, but behavioral clauses and other things caused him to lose it. And so once he realized that he's going to go out there and play game to game, I think that's when the plan kicked in. Like, there ain't no way I'm going to be playing this violent game, talking smack to the guys that are hitting me without some sort of guarantee. So obviously, he recouped some of his guaranteed money by moving to New England. But I don't know how orchestrated it was. Yeah, and I think that's what we're going to have to wait and see play out because is if he is who everybody thinks he is, we're going to have to wait and see how he plays in that New England clubhouse or locker room, however you want to call it. But, you know, it's all rainbows and unicorns until you get in there and he doesn't play the Patriot way because I think that's probably one of the bigger legends that have grown over the last 15, 20 years in the NFL is the Patriot way. Will he be able to perform under Bill Pelichick? And I think that's where Bill Belichick is going to have to step up a little bit. We're going to maybe see some of the greatness of him is corralling a young, super talented athlete who understands his personal persona and brand. How does he tame that? How does he tamp that down and have it fit into the New England way? You know, is it Belichick? Is it the coaching staff or is it the guys around him? Is it the Tom Brady effect? You know, does Tom Brady kind of take him under his wing and say, look, you can be who you want to be, but you're going to do it inside our system. And the other thing is, does New England really need this guy? Do they need the headache of an Antonio Brown going in there? After watching that first week and what Tom Brady was able to go out there and do and just thrash a Pittsburgh Steeler team, these guys, are they were already Super Bowl contenders, and now Antonio Brown is just going to put them over the top for me. Need is a great – I mean, that's that's right. Don't we ask our kids, do you need that? Do you need this? I feel like the Patriots do such a good job of staying flexible, right, with the salary cap and keeping emotions out of things. I feel like being able to pay a guy who really earned about $50 million in the offseason, 30-some-odd guaranteed, paying him like $10 million, with a little bit of a signing bonus or, you know, obviously 15 million over the time, but I think is a bargain. And they're just trying to grab commodities. You know, they've had Corey Dillon, Aqib Talib made his way through there. Randy Moss had one of his greatest seasons ever with Belichick. They've kept Gordon. Obviously, Josh Gordon hasn't come to fruition, but they obviously liked him enough to say, all right, once you get substance abuse dealt with, come back because they realize his talent and the Patriot way are going to keep him around longer. They must have liked him in the clubhouse because if they didn't like him, they wouldn't have brought him back. So I feel like in this scenario, it's just grabbing a commodity. I mean, next week, somebody can get hurt and they're like, oh, well, we got Antonio Brown. He's learning the system. And they got him at a bargain. They didn't have to pay him $50 million. They paid him, I think, 10 guaranteed, I believe, with like five coming, something like that. So mm-hmm. I think that's a bargain for probably one of the top three to five players in the in the whole entire league. I just think it is. It's the Patriot way. And if it doesn't work out, they can ax them. They'll only be out the 10 million or 9 million signing bonus, and they're fine with that. Yeah, I agree with you in the sense that that 9, 10 million, whatever's guaranteed to them, that's not even a hit against uh, their payroll or the luxury taxes or whatever they're dealing with, the uh, salary caps. So it will be interesting to see how that plays out. But I know Tuttle and I are probably going to have some conversations over the next week because Antonio Brown is going to show up. He's going to get into practice. And guess who was on our bench 
during our fantasy football uh, opening game, Tom Brady. And he put up monster numbers without him. It may alter the game plan a little bit and force us to put him in there and get some of those points. You got any thoughts on that, Tuttle? You think it's going to change our opinion of Tom Brady? I don't know. I, I try not to get too excited. This is, again, you were talking about getting fired up and then being even keel, especially with fantasy football. One week does not a season make. It's really hard to, especially with the Patriots, because week to week, is there a team that does it dip more different week to week? Like next week, they may show up and run the ball 400 times, and Tom Brady throws five passes, depending on what the game plan dictates. But I do believe they're playing Miami, <laughs> and Miami just gave up 50, 59 <laughs> points to Baltimore. So if that's the case, we might have to reevaluate. Of course, it's nice to have a choice between Breeze and Brady in this scenario. The guy that I think we might have to put in there, and we don't have to get into a fantasy football discussion here, is Antonio Brown's former teammate. Josh Jacobs might have to sneak in there. Dude, I like me some Josh Jacobs, man. Watching him play last night, that dude was fired up and he played hard. Yep, and he was on our bench this weekend as well. So watch out watch out in our fantasy football league. We got some guys to go to. We got Brady on the bench, Josh Jacobs on the bench, and we still pull out a W. Yeah, it's going to be fun to talk about that throughout the course of the season. But do you all know already that we are recording on... What is this, Tuesday? It is Tuesday, the 10th of September. So we know what tomorrow is, and we're going to transition a little bit and close out this podcast because we talk about how we salute all first responders and military, but tomorrow is September 11th. And on September 11th, 2001, we're going to ask you at home, where were you when that happened, when the planes went into the World Trade Center in New York? And I'm getting kind of chills just thinking about it right now because I was with the Montreal Expos and we were down in Florida playing the Florida Marlins. And two days after that, we were supposed to be up in New York playing the New York Mets in a series. But I was awoken uh, early on September 11th with a phone call from my mom. And oddly enough, my mom's birthday is September 11th. So I had thought that I was uh, mistakenly not calling my mom on her birthday, but uh, she she reminded me that, yes, it was her birthday, but she also told me to turn on the television. And that's when I saw the horrific events of September 11th, 2001. And it wasn't until years later that uh, I realized that I had a friend and ex-teammate at Cal who was in the towers that went down. His name was Brent Woodall. He was a great teammate, he played football. He was a tight end on the football team at Cal, and he also was a left-handed relief pitcher for us at Cal. And, you know, everybody was affected by that. And I just want all of you, if you can, if you want to, if you feel the need to air it out, just get on our mailbag and maybe let us know where you were at if you were affected by that. I'm going to turn it over to Tuttle real, real quick here. But, uh, you know, it, we went, we couldn't play our series in New York immediately. Uh, we had to fly. We It was so crazy that I was playing for a Canadian team and we couldn't fly across the border. They had to charter a plane for us and we had to land in Burlington, Vermont and drive across the border. And it took us two hours to get across the border because we had all of our equipment. And obviously we were going into a foreign country to, at the time, you know, and uh, so it was kind of scary and sketchy to begin with, but it was a frightening time. We will never forget we we always appreciate the military. We always appreciate the first responders. But it, most notably on a day like September 11th, we always want to remember those and think about those who have put themselves in harm's way. And I hate to kind of bring it down a little bit, but uh, I do want to uh, cheer on the country and cheer on those who actually still commit their lives to serving others. Yeah, it's a great sentiment. And I don't know if it brings it down. I mean, obviously, throughout our lives, my parents remember where they were when JFK was shot. 
Um, I remember I was in third grade when the uh, space shuttle, uh, we were watching the space shuttle launch in elementary school and that, that thing blew up. That was, I mean, that was as traumatic as well. I think this is always a little bit different because this was an act of terrorism and there were some other things involved with this kind of uh, event for lack of a better word. But I will say that I certainly remember where I was. I had just finished playing baseball in 2000. So I was in LA kind of getting my stuff together and I was not waking up too early. But the same thing, I got a, a phone call from a friend saying, turn on the TV and turn on the TV with Tower One already you know, on fire. And they had said a plane crashed into it. And then to live watch the next plane hit the towers was just... You know, I mean, you can't forget anything like that. You can't unsee things like that. But uh, let's hope we don't have too many more events like this in our lives. Um, I will say I also had two folks that I went to high school with, two gentlemen, um, Mark Bingham uh, and another connection that Jeff and I have. He went to Los Gatos High School where I went to high school and went, went on to play rugby at Cal Berkeley where Jeff was uh, in college. And then another gentleman named Todd Beamer. Both of them were on the same plane. And both of them were responsible for bringing down the airplane in the uh, field in Pennsylvania. So they were the guys that uh, that charged the cockpit and you know actually probably saved a ton of lives, sacrificed their their own lives to save other lives. And obviously that's an, a heroic thing to do, especially when you're not signed up to necessarily do that. I think it just kind of brings into the fold what we've talked about on this podcast many times, which are that common people do uncommon things, and the people that acted on 9-11, our military first responders and, and just normal U.S. citizens all did heroic and amazing things. And we, we should be thankful for that. And we should definitely remember those folks on a day like tomorrow. I know we close out the podcast always with a shout out to those folks, but obviously a special one tomorrow. Excellent words from David Tuttle and another great podcast. Uh, great conversation, great ideas, great opinions, bold calls by David Tuttle with Kenley Jansen out there in LA. But we are thankful for all of those who serve and protect. We are also thankful for all of those who have joined us in the conversation. We love the conversation and we want to remind you to go to bleacherblums.com check out the website, have some fun, engage with us. We will continue to engage with you. It has been another great podcast. Tuttle, any parting words for those in the bleachers hanging out with us and hurting their butts sitting on these cold, dark, aluminum bleachers talking sports? No, we're, we're very thankful for all the listeners out there. I will say that uh, I think I'm going to bring some uh, some betting tips. We'll use Monopoly money or something like that. Betting tips to future podcasts. I had a pretty good week. I had a couple a couple underdogs that I like. So I won uh, two games with my Monopoly money. I say all that to say, folks, enjoy yourselves, keep listening, and don't bet on it. That's right. That was David Tuttle of Bleacher Blums. I am Jeff Blum, and we are signing off. We want you to get after it. Most of all, you got to believe it. Through